Thank you for listening to the FBH podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit www.fbhanford.org. We are continuing in uh, on our series called I Am He as we walk through uh, the Gospel of John. And like right now, we're like all out sprint trying to get through the Gospel of John. We're in John chapter 8 today. So if you have your Bibles, you can flip open to those, uh, whether it be physical or digital or whatever. You can pull that out and go to John chapter 8. We're going to get to that in just a second. Um, As I grew up, um, I had a very kind of normal family, right? I had a a biological mom and a biological dad. Um, And when I say normal, I mean, you know, most often, most normative type of families. I had a mom and a dad, both biological, had one older brother, had a a short, fat dog named Max, um, and I had a cat named Greyhound. Don't know how that happened, uh, but uh, had a cat named Greyhound. And uh, as I grew up, it was just kind of like a normal sort of family. And uh, we grew up in a neighborhood where we had nine boys, uh, all, all within a year or two years of each other, all like within a couple houses of us. We grew up on a cul-de-sac. And so like, we're talking baseball games all the time, basketball games all the time, roller hockey games all the time. Like any game you could imagine, we just, it was normal for us growing up. I, I grew up playing uh quite a few sports. I grew up uh, underperforming in school. Um, I grew up doing most normal kind of things. And I would even remember as, as we would take our friends with us different places, my mom and dad were real involved in our lives. And so as we would take friends different places and we would drop them off, they would always say, thank you, you know, thank you, Mr. Anderson. Thank you, Mrs. Anderson. And I distinctly remember my, my mom and my dad would always say one of two things. My dad would always say, hey, anytime. He would always say, good boys are always welcome. Um, was kind of like his thing as our friends were leaving. It was like a subtle indoctrination into our, uh, into our friends probably. Like, as long as you're good, you can keep coming, bro. That's what he was really saying. Um, so he always said that. And my mom would always say, uh, we don't do things because uh, it's right or if we don't do things because it's easy, we do things because it's right, right? So those are kind of the two things that I, was all, I would always get from my parents, always like that, that subtle hint of indoctrination. And, and actually, Sarah and I, uh, uh, we have a, a cluster of birthdays in February in my kind of extended family. My, my stepdad's is the 24th. Uh, my brother's is the 25th. Mine is the 26th. My cousin's is on the 27th. My other cousin's actually the 23rd. I mean, it's just like a span, right? And none of us have to share a day. It was great planning on all of their parts. Um, and so we, uh, we went to my mom's house yesterday and it's the same house that, that I grew up in. And so it's like this acre of grass, like there's just grass everywhere. It's an acre. Um, and so like boys are running and playing and hanging out. It's just like, man, this is family. This is security. This is normal for, for me. And this is what I was just like, as I think about growing up in my family structure, I think to myself, Hey, this, this is normal. This is is family. And so as we, as we jump in this morning, specifically into John chapter eight, we're gonna ask ourselves a question. But before we get to that question, we've asked two questions over the course of the last two weeks. The first one is specifically, who is Jesus? And we have said, this is a question that we all at some point are going to have to grapple with. Either we're gonna wrestle with this question on earth and eternity, or, or on earth, and I hope we come to the correct conclusion of that question on earth, or we are definitely going to have to ask ourselves that question in eternity for a very, very long time, saying, who is Jesus? We're all going to have to, 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 to grapple with that. And, and actually, before that, we asked the question, why do we follow Jesus? Equally as valid as a question, 
but has a little bit more to do with us and our own understanding of, of who Jesus is and the value that we put into, into Christ as our Savior. Um, and, and again, super necessary for us to, to wrestle with that question. This week, we're going to wrestle with one more question um, that I think it may be one of the most important questions of all of them. That question is, who do you belong to? Who do you belong to? So if you, if you think about it specifically and strictly in a familial sense, you can think back to how you grew up and where you grew up and your siblings and your parents and the different rhythms and flows that your family kind of held to and has and that sort of thing. Uh, but, but who do you belong to? Because I think a lot of us can probably relate to that idea of belonging, some more than others, probably depending on your upbringing. Uh, you know, for me, I grew up uh, incredibly proud of my last name. I was an Anderson. Now, it's not like a strange last name or anything like that. I always felt really proud as I was driving, you know, past Selma and it said Pea Soup Anderson's on the right side. I was like, you spell it wrong, but let's go, Anderson's, right? Like, I was always really, really excited about that. Like, I grew up as an Anderson. My brother grew up proud of his last name being an Anderson. I don't even really know why. Because when it comes to our heritage, we actually have no clue what we are. And so it's one of those things that people are like, in the summertime, people always ask me like, are you Mexican? I'm like, nope, not Mexican, sorry. And then like, it, you know, wintertime when I'm a little bit more pale uh, because I've been just tanning under fluorescent lights and that sort of thing. Like people are like, what are you? I'm like, great question. If you figure it out, please let me know. Like there's no reason for us really to be proud of the last name Anderson outside of the fact that we simply belong to our Anderson family. Like I grew up with that simply being my last name. And regardless of not knowing that, you know, we, we were just proud of it. We belonged to the Anderson family. But, you know, before our kids go somewhere, something Sarah and I are trying to indoctrinate our kids with uh, is simply to say, when, before they go, remember who you are and whose you are. And so a subtle way of saying, hey, who, remember who you are. You are an Anderson. And so wherever you go, you are representing our family name. And more importantly, even that, remember whose you are, that you are a child of God, you are representing Christianity with the decisions that you're making as well. And so remember who you are and remember whose you are. It's that idea of identity and who is it that you actually belong to. And it's obviously, this, this isn't the case for everybody. There's a lot of people, probably many in here, who have probably come from homes where the idea of belonging doesn't resonate very deeply simply because you didn't grow up in a home maybe that was stable, a home that was uh, dependable, or a home that was even your own. And I understand that that can be kind of a, a, a difficult thing. I don't know your family situation, but I do know that every single one of us has a community that we would call ourselves a citizen of. Every single one of us has a community that we would call ourselves a, a citizen of. And, and for some reason, or for some of us rather, uh, it's simply our last name. Like I said, simply our last name. Like I am a community of the Anderson family. And we get to the extent of that, we're like, all right, we're good. That, that's me or the Milhans or, or you know, fill in whatever last name that, that you find at the end of your birth certificate, that that is who I resonate. But usually it's a little bit, little bit more complex than that. Usually we, we belong to a few different tribes, whether we, we know it or not. You're a Christian. And so that's, you know, part of the tribe that we fit into. You, uh, you have a political party affiliation, usually one of the tribes that you fit into. 
You have people you listen to on the radio, you have podcasts, you have maybe your, your favorite uh, celebrity pastor, maybe political personalities, sports teams, entertainers, life coaches, whatever it is that you listen to and subscribe to their belief, you have essentially made those people part of your belief system. And what we have done is we've taken all those things, wrapped a bow around it and said, this is my version of Christianity. And what we're gonna talk about today in John chapter eight is thinking that, hey, you know what? While that sounds okay, that sounds like, okay, yeah, these are all parts of my identity that actually falls woefully short of what Christ has called us to. And we're gonna see that in John chapter eight. Because what has continued to happen in the 21st century is people have started to create their own belief systems based on who they are and what it is they belong to. See, this is the idea of syncretism. Syncretism. Syncretism, it's, uh, here's some big words for you. Syncretism is the amalgamation, you can look that one up later, amalgamation, so you know I didn't write this definition, straight from the internet, so you know you can trust it. <laughs> Syncretism is the amalgamation of different religions, cultures, or schools of thought. So it's pretty much like I just explained. You take this, you take this, you take this, and you shove them all together. And then like whatever belief system that you come up with is your version of that. That's the idea of syncretism. In other words, the combination of a bunch of belief systems that would quantify as your belief system. And no one's belief system is exactly the same. I mean, you could get a hundred pastors in the room and they would all argue for the entire day about what is the most important thing for us to be concerning ourselves with in this particular period of time because we all have our different, our different biases, our different belief systems, different people that we listen to, different ways that we interpret scripture. We have all of these different things. And so the idea that any of our belief system is the same is, is actually not that big of a deal or, or it should be a bigger deal than it actually is. And one of the reasons is we have access to so much information. In Christianity, we have access to so much information Rather than going to the source of truth, rather than going to the Bible, what happens is we kind of hear secondhand information. We hear it from another believer that we think, oh, they've been a Christian for a long time. And so because of that, that's got to be true. Right? And so we hear it secondhand from somebody else. Uh, we go look up stuff on the internet, which like I said, you know, it's reliable. Or the most dangerous piece of all of it is we simply figure out what feels right for us. And so when we start just simply saying, you know what, my feelings are telling me this, this is where the term my truth comes in. This has been a, a phrase that really is getting kicked around quite a bit over the course of the last decade or so, where people will simply be able to, to uh, kind of hide their opinion under the banner of my truth. And so as long as it's somebody's truth, you can't argue with it. As long as you say it's my truth, then simply there's no standard for us to be able to hold it to. And so when we start hearing words like my truth, you know that the idea of syncretism is alive and well because they're not relying on anything. We are not relying on anything other than our strong opinions in some way or another. So think about your belief system for a second, your personal belief system for a second. Now we're gonna get to the text in just a second. Think about your personal belief system for a second. I think a lot of us would say that Christianity is in there somewhere. I mean, you're here, and unless you're completely new to faith, and, and I, hope, I hope you are, and I hope you're here this morning, but at least you're com completely new to faith or anything like that, most of us in this room would probably say that, yeah, the idea of being a Christian is part of my belief system. 
But equally as much as being a Christian is part of your belief system, I would venture to say that a lot of people would probably, especially the beginning of this political season, which I'm sure is gonna be so exciting by November, is just people would, would, would more readily and easily say, I am a Republican or I am a Democrat or the, the proud rise of people saying, I am nothing, all of it is garbage, right? That we say that is part of my belief system. And what happens is oftentimes, regardless of where you fall into, maybe it's sexual orientation, that's a new big one. Okay, what, my, my identity is wrapped up in my sexuality. And so defining ourselves as such, or I am straight, or I am gay, or I am whatever. That we find our identity in those different things. And what happens is, is rather than us simply saying, I am a Christian, and I'm going to fall under the banner of Christianity, meaning I need to look at what scripture says and understand what the Bible says and view everything through that, what we do is we get these different identities and we say, well, I am a Democrat or I am a Republican and everything, all of my other beliefs have to fall under that category. I'm going to view the world through that category, including and dangerously so my religion. And that's a terrifying thought because our hope is not in this world. Our hope is in the next. Our hope is through the Heavenly Father. Not through any sort of political, sexual, whatever, cultural affiliation. And the root cause of all of these things, the root cause of all of these things is a failure to recognize who it is we actually belong to. What tribe actually is the most important tribe? And essentially the question we need to ask ourselves as believers in Christ is, whose are we? And are we a part of the family of God or is he merely a part of our belief system? Are we part of the family of God or is he merely a part of our belief system? And I think our knee-jerk reaction is to say that I am part of the family of God, which I wouldn't doubt, especially if you have a personal relationship with Jesus. But I would caution you against the wrong belief that being part of the family of God is only part of what defines you. Because as we open up to John 8 right now, we're gonna see that being a part of the family of God, it should be the only thing that defines you. So let's look at John 8. We're starting in verse 21. We're gonna go all the way through 30, and then we're gonna talk about some stuff. So starting in verse 21, it says this. Once more, Jesus said to them, I am going away and you will look for me and you will die in your sin where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that why he says where I go, you cannot come? But he continued, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. This is not new information from Jesus. Yeah, Jesus has been saying this on a, on a consistent basis. He has told these people that he is the bread of life. He's told these people uh, that he is living water. He's told them they can't go to heaven apart from belief in him. And so they ask the same question that they regularly ask of Jesus in verse 25. Who are you? Shocker. Jesus is starting at square one with the same believers again. Who are you, they asked. Just what I've been telling you from the beginning, Jesus replied, I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is trustworthy. And what I have heard from him, I tell the world. They did not understand that he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the son of man, this is in reference to them crucifying Jesus, them literally lifting him up on the cross, Okay. He references this numerous times throughout the gospel and that sort of thing. 
It says, then you will know that I am he, and I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. And even as he spoke, many believed him. So Jesus here isn't just saying, look, I'm a big deal. You need to believe in me so you can get to heaven. He's saying more than that. What Jesus is saying here is, is it isn't just about me. It is about who I have come from. It is who, who my dad is, is what Jesus is talking about here. I do nothing outside of the will of the Father. I do nothing outside of God's will. He says that, he says, I do whatever I please, whatever pleases God, that's what it is that I'm gonna do. That's what Jesus is saying here. Even Jesus's belief system, which was perfect, by the way, stems from his reliance on who God is, not simply who Jesus is. See, Jesus recognized that he's the son. All his cues are taken from, from direct connection from God the Father, which is weird for a lot of us to hear, okay? because a lot of us in here, we've, we've grown up with the notion that, oh yeah, God, is, I mean, it's, it's the, the, the triune God. We have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. So how come God the Son had to submit himself to the will of the Father if he is equally God and that sort of thing, right? How does that whole thing work out? There's this theological concept of the kenosis. Okay, that's your theology word today, kenosis, K-E-N-O-S-I-S. It's not gonna be on the screen, but kenosis. And that's the willing emptying of himself, this is Christ, willingly emptying himself of the privileges of deity. And saying, you know what, I'm going to step into the world, I'm gonna be completely man and completely God at the same time, but in my completely complete humanity, I am going to submit myself to the will of the Father and he does that willingly. We see the same type of thing, or at least we should see the same type of thing in marriage. This idea that God has created man and wife and he has created gender roles and he has created the way that it is supposed to function. He has put man as the head of the household. But he doesn't put man as the head of the household so he can force his wife to submit to him. He puts man as the head of the household and then the wife gets to willingly submit to the head of that household. Not because they are not equal, but because they are different and their roles specifically are different. And so that's the same thing that we have going on here with God and with, and with Jesus. That Jesus' belief system relies specifically on who the Father is because he willingly submitted himself to the Father. And then he goes to John 8, 31 and 32. It says, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And it's one of those feel good verses, right? That we always are like, man, man, if you just know the truth, the truth will set you free. We say it, you know, just like flippantly kind of say it. And this isn't one of those flippant verses where it's just like, oh, it's a standalone verse and we don't have to worry about context or anything like that. Like it's not a proverb, right? Where it's just like this, this pithy little statement, and I can apply that to my life or anything like that. This isn't you can just simply say, know the truth and the truth will set you free. This is a very specific truth that Jesus is talking about here. This truth is the truth that Jesus Christ came into the world and died for our sins to be able, for us to be able to go to heaven forever, to be reconciled to the Father forever. That's the truth that he's talking about here. So it's not just any truth that's gonna set you free. It's not your truth that is gonna set you free. It's specifically the truth that Jesus Christ came to die on a cross for us that will set us free. 
And so he's kind of priming the pump here for about what, what is going to happen. It's a specific truth. And so this then begs the question when he says, if you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. Well, then what is Jesus' teaching? It begs that question because according to this, the way that we will know the truth is by being his disciples and become his disciples by obeying his teaching. So what is the teaching we have to listen to in order for the truth to, again, set us free? Long train of thought. I appreciate you guys, most of you guys staying with me. Jesus simply wants them to understand what he said back in chapter six. And we talked about this two weeks ago when the same question was posed. John 6, 29 says, Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. See, to be Jesus' disciples, we need to listen to his teaching. And his teaching was to believe in the one that God had sent. That's what he's asking them to do here. He's reiterating a narrative that he had already talked through. A narrative he had already put forth. He's like, hey, look, if you want to be my disciples, you need, to know, you need to listen to my teaching. What was Jesus teaching? Listen to, believe in me, period. Believe in me. John 6 tells us that. Just believe in me. We so wrongly believe that in order to be disciples of Christ, we have to have all of these accomplishments. We have to have a certain number of mission trips. We have to have 50 conversions this year and 30 baptisms and then tack on an exorcism for good luck. Like whatever it is, like we oftentimes believe that, hey, if I can just get my Christian stats up, man, there'll be no doubt that I can get into heaven. And that, that, that is a true thing. We talk, I mean, good deeds all the time, right? People believe, I mean, the amount of funerals that we do that we don't know if they're a believer, but man, they were a good person. That's a hard funeral. That's a real hard funeral. Because it's not about our accomplishments. It's not about out-Christianing one another. It's not about those good deeds. Being a Christian has nothing to do with your accomplishments and everything to do with your adoption. Being a Christian has nothing to do with your accomplishments and everything to do with your adoption. Man, growing up, I was super competitive. Okay, I mean, I talked about like sports was my life growing up. Um, if I was bored, like my parents, we never had video games in the house or anything like that. And so like, oh, go outside. And I went outside and there were like eight other kids my age. It was like, sweet, time to do sportsing. And that was a Kyle Ralph quote, by the way, because he doesn't do sportsing. It's just stating a fact. So I would go outside and we would just compete and my value was wrapped up in being the best at sports. That's where my value came. And so man, recess, I remember fourth grade, we had an ongoing football game the entire year between my class and another class. It was like, hey, whoever's best, like it was Van Horn versus Anderson, it was weird enough. Van Horn was my teacher, my mom taught the other class. So I was like rivals with my mom all of fourth grade, it was weird. But I remember my value was just wrapped up in this idea of like competition. And I'm still competitive, to be fair. You sit across a board game from me, like, let's go. But I'll be nice afterwards, that's the only difference. Even if you win, I'll still be nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but even in, 
even when it came to, to Christianity, like that worldview, my worldview of needing to win and needing to accomplish and needing to do all of these things, it shifted into like my Christian walk in some way. And so when I got to junior high and high school, I thought, hey, the more things that I can get involved in, the better Christian that I could be, man, that's how we will know that I'm just killing it in my walk with God. That's how we'll know. And so, man, I was like, I was involved in three youth groups at one time, like just exhausting, right? Like why would anybody be involved in three youth groups? Who needs that much forced fun on a regular basis, right? And so I was involved in like three youth groups. I was a leader at FCA. Like I was having conversations with people, all that, like, like everything that I did wasn't necessarily to glorify God because I had been adopted into his family. It was to make myself feel better that I was doing all of the things that I was supposed to do as a Christian. See, my walk with Jesus was more about my accomplishments than it was about his adoption of me. And I think if we take a good hard look in the mirror, we could actually see that in quite a few of us. Is that we think our Christian walk has everything to do with us. But the reality is, is that our Christian walk has nothing to do with us and everything to do with God. And we get confused on that. See, Jesus is the one who adopted me into sonship forever. Now, beyond that, though, we get a regular opportunity to grapple with the idea of truth, like I said, on a regular basis. When our world has watered down the idea of truth to what feels like what is right, it's very easy for us to forget what it is that will set us free. And it isn't all of the kind of external things. It isn't, it's not about being in 14 Bible studies or reading the Bible for four hours a day. It isn't out Christianing other people. It's recognizing that the truth rests on us recognizing who Jesus is. That's where the truth rests. It's not about doing more. The truth rests on, on recognizing who we've been adopted to. It's recognizing the truth rests on Jesus and what he did for us. The problem though is that there's a lack of knowledge of truth in Western Christianity. There's simply a lack of knowledge of it. Because of the fact that we have such easy access to the Bible, we have such easy access to this idea of special revelation, that's the Bible. We have easy access to it. And so because of the fact that we have easy access to it, we take it for granted, right? You guys have probably five or six in your houses. One is just for decoration that sits on your, your coffee table. Like, look how big this Bible is. <laughs> what? And we take that truth for granted because we've been so saturated by it on a regular basis that we think, oh yeah, that's the Bible. I've heard all the stories in it. I know all the truth in it. I don't need to read it for myself because I have a pastor who will explain it to me on Sunday anyway. And if that is where your faith currently lies, your identity isn't wrapped up in, in being adopted into sonship. Your identity is actually wrapped up in being a part of FBH. And that falls woefully short of what God would like for us to have a relationship with his son. There's a ton of lack of, of biblical knowledge. Like I said, we take God's word for granted. And so at this point, going back to the story, going back to the story, the Jews are upset at Jesus. The Jews are upset at Jesus at this point because he has told them they need to be set free. This is a hard thing. Like, hey, look, like, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free, implying you are slaves. 
And according to religious law, religious law at the time, there were so many things that the Jews needed to do in order to remain pure in their faith. There were sacrifices, different ways of washing only, working so much, all of these different things. And then Jesus gets to verse 34. And they have told, they've told Jesus here, like, look, we've never been slaves before. We are a part of the family of Abraham. That was like what they, 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 they staked their claim in the truth of like, look, we are descendants of Abraham, the father of the Jewish faith. We are God's chosen people. They were proud of that fact and they should have been proud of that fact. But because they were so wrapped up in the comfort of their current belief system, their own belief system, they didn't see the savior right in front of their face that they had been waiting for forever. They couldn't see it. So they're upset because Jesus calls them slaves. And they're like, we're not slaves. We're descendants of Abraham. We're God's chosen people. And then Jesus reminds them that it isn't who they are a slave to. It's what it is that they are a slave to. Story continues in verse 34. It says, Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Has nothing to do about where they came from, has nothing to do about all of the different traditions that they held onto about their ceremonial washing, about their sacrifices, about how pure they were as a Jewish person. Had nothing to do with that. Had everything to do with the fact that, hey, if you know the son, if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed, period. Period. He tells them you're slaves. Every human being is a slave to sin. And he says, hey, look, the only one who gets an inheritance, the only one who will be in the family forever is the son. That's it. He's saying your lineage doesn't matter. What matters is that you believe in me, the son, and I take my cues from dad. So you need to get on board with me. You need to get on board with dad because if you believe that I have adopted you into the family and, and I am in the family forever and you have been adopted by me, then guess what? You also get to be in the family forever. Because if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. In short, we've been adopted into the family by the son. We've been adopted into the family by the son. And this isn't the only time this idea of being adopted is something greater in kind of our own belief system takes place. Paul actually writes to the church in Ephesus. Paul talks about this idea of adoption in Christ a lot, but specifically Ephesians 1.5, it just says he predestined us for what? Adoption. To sonship through who? Jesus Christ. In accordance with his pleasure and will. You know, it keeps going back to this idea that we have nothing to do with our own salvation. We have nothing to do with our own salvation. That apart from Jesus adopting us into the family of God, we are broken and we are sinful people. And there's no way out of it. But we keep going back to the, what do I need to do to no longer be a slave to sin? What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Tell me what it is that we have to do. And just like all humans, we make it about ourselves. We make our salvation about ourselves and our salvation is not about ourselves. Our salvation is about God sending his son. Tim Keller, he's a real famous pastor, um, brilliant, brilliant person. Uh, he gives an excellent sermon about this very thing actually. And Jeff and I were talking about uh, my message this week and he had brought up the fact that, hey, 
Keller, Keller talks about, about this. He, he talks about the point that we often think that salvation has some sort of split responsibility. That in some way our responsibility or our salvation has a lot to do with us as well as God. That maybe our salvation is like 80% God, 20% man. That God, yeah, absolutely, Jesus needed to come, but we still have to out-Christian other people. We still have to do our good deeds. We still have to do all of those things in order for God to accept us on the other side of eternity. And we think there's like some 80, 20, 90, 10, 50, 50 split. And that couldn't be further from the truth. You know why? Because we're not that important. You're not that important. I'm not that important. Our salvation has nothing to do with us and has everything to do with an incredibly massive God who sent his son on our behalf. We are not God's partner in our salvation. We simply reap the benefits. And that's a weird thing to say, it's a hard thing to hear because we're used to a free market system where there's always an exchange of goods. If I want that, I'm gonna give you something in return, right? There's no such thing as a free lunch. We learned it in, in economics as we were going through college and that sort of thing. Someone has to pay for it somewhere. And it was. That Christ paid for it for our behalf so we wouldn't have to. Because God recognized that there was no way for us to get to him outside of someone coming and paying a price for it. It's not about us. It's completely and totally about our Heavenly Father and what he did in our behalf. And honestly, I think this is why we get confused regarding what the purpose of the church is. You see, when we make our salvation about us and we don't make our salvation about God, we begin to make church about those who are already saved because it's about us, it's about me. It's about my comfort, it's about my things. How can the church serve me? My needs are not being met. We talk to people who leave the church, number one reason. Well, I'm just not growing in my faith. It's clear that my needs aren't being met here anymore. Oh, that drives me crazy. Whoever said the church was about you? You know, it's one of my favorite quotes, my old pastor's name is Tom Mercer. His quote says, never assume yourself so important to think that the church exists for you. The church exists to change the world. Whew. get chills even just saying that. Because like I said, we're not that important. When we recognize whose we are and who we've been adopted into, when we count ourselves as nothing, we have no problem getting out of the way to be able to, to, be able to bring other people into the fold. Because it's not about us, it's not about me, it's not about my salvation, it's about you and the fact that you haven't been adopted into the family yet. Come on, let me show you who my dad is. That's what it's about. You know, the Jews thought their heritage was gonna be enough to get them into heaven. Their tribe, their comfortable belief system. And Jesus comes and he says, as long as you are a slave to that old belief system, as long as you don't accept your adoption into our family, you will still be held in shackles. You will still be a slave. They, they even talk about Abraham. And they, but, but Abraham, he's, he's the father of our faith. And they go on and on and on about him. And one of the most powerful lines in the New Testament, Jesus reminds them about him being part of their ballistum. He, he says in 56 and following, it's not on the screen. It says, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. 
You are not yet 50 years old, they said to him, and you've seen Abraham? And here it comes, 58. Very truly, very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. It has nothing to do with your belief system. It has nothing to do with how good you think you are has nothing to do with you out-Christianing other people. It has nothing to do with your good works. It has nothing to do with any of that. It has everything to do simply with who you have been adopted by and what it is that you've been adopted into. Before your belief system, I am. Before Abraham was created, I am. Before Republicans and Democrats, I am. Before America, I am. Before the sexual revolution, I am. Before every single piece of what you consider to be your identity, I am. That's what Jesus is telling him here. That old belief system, nope, I am. I am. He even hints at the very idea at the very beginning of the book of John. It's the beautiful, brilliant intro that John writes in 1, 9 to 12. It says, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own didn't receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. God has given us the right to belong to his family rather than our own watered down versions of belief. Where we were orphans, he stood ready to adopt us. I have a, a couple of friends, their name are, names are uh, Tim and Wendy. And uh, they had had two biological sons um, and then they thought they felt God kind of prompting them to go into the foster to adopt system. And uh, so they went through all the class, all this stuff, they got placed this beautiful little girl and uh, got placed there for six months, just loving on her and parental rights were still going on and that sort of thing. And the week before that little girl was supposed to be adopted into Tim and Wendy's family forever, they granted parental rights back to the mom, back to the birth mom. And Tim and Wendy, their hearts are just ripped out of their chest, right? It's the hard thing about being a foster adopt parent. And it's just like, I don't know, I'm gonna love these kids, I'm gonna love these people to the best of my ability, but in any minute, the state could come and just take these kids away. So that's what happened. Six months into it, little girl got taken back to the birth mom and uh, Wendy, Tim's wife, started just praying and figuring out, broken, completely and totally broken. Didn't know what to do. So she started praying and trying to give it all to God. And God, you tell me how it is that I'm supposed to love this little girl to the best of my ability because they had no contact with the little girl anymore or anything like that. And so she very clearly heard the Holy Spirit tell her, hey, just love the mom. You love the mom. Don't worry about the daughter, you love the mom. And so Wendy would do everything, everything for that mom. They needed car repair. Tim would take her car to the shop. They needed groceries. She was bringing groceries over, dropping them at the house, anything they needed. You know, call me any time of night. I will, I will figure out what it is. So she loved this mom so well for an entire year. And the mom relapsed. And when the mom relapsed, there was an entire year's worth of relation, relational equity that Wendy had put in with the mom. And so the mom said, hey, look, I'm going to give my daughter up for adoption and I want her to go to them because they love me well. 
their daughter had an incredibly rough first three and a half years of her life. There was baggage, there was sin, not even sin that was necessarily her own that she had to walk through, she had to trudge through as a baby, just walk through and trudge to. And then Tim and Wendy got to get their little girl and bring her home and tell her her new last name and give her a bed that was her own bed to sleep in. Say, hey, you don't have to worry about food. You don't have to worry about shelter. You don't have to worry about if we're gonna be here. You don't have to take care of yourself. I got you. We've adopted you into our family. There's security in that. It wasn't, hey, we'll keep you as long as you're a good girl. It wasn't, we'll keep you as long as you get good grades. It wasn't, we'll keep you as long as you're nice to your siblings. It was simply, welcome to our family. We forget that. It's not about how good you are. It's not about the things that you do. It's simply about who you've been adopted into. You know, when we stop thinking of ourselves as entitled to anything and begin recognizing ourselves as orphans, wandering around without a home, we begin to become truly grateful for what Christ actually did for us. It's not about how nice our bed is, it's simply about the fact that we have a bed. It's ours. It's not about how good the food is, it's simply about the fact that I have food that I can rely on. It's not about any of those things, it's simply about the fact that we belong to God, it's simply that we have all of these things and the little things begin to fall away and those things don't matter anymore. When we recognize our rightful place in the story of Jesus, the recognition that we are not the heroes of the Bible, you are not the heroes of God's story, God is. It begins to make it a whole lot easier to point to the actual hero the one who came to seek and save us in the first place. So I'll end this question for you to ponder. Is Jesus simply one part of your belief system or have you been adopted into his family? Let's pray. God, man, John 8, whew. But God, we are, uh, man, we're thankful for adoption. We're thankful for your son, we're thankful for him coming to earth and, and willingly submitting himself to you. And saying, hey, look, I, I, I'm gonna submit to the will of the Father. In the same way that as, as, as we get adopted into the family of God, it's our responsibility to submit to his will as well, that we are part of his family, that everything that we see, our identity, would not be wrapped up in anything else except being children of God. That we can believe certain things, we can be part of different political parties, we can be, be, have different beliefs, but all of those things would be viewed through the lens of adoption through Christ. That it wouldn't be, yeah, I'm all these things, also I'm a Christian as well. He said, I'm a Christian. And Father, because I'm a Christian, I want to see everything through that lens and that lens only. 
And if that lens doesn't line up with something else, then something else gets to be thrown by the wayside. Because it's you, Jesus. It's you and your family that you've adopted us into and nothing else. So if you're in here today and you're thinking to yourself, man, I need to be adopted into the family of God. I need that adoption in some way. We end our messages with the ABCs, admit, believe, choose, that you would just, you could pray along with me and just say, Father, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a savior. God, I need to be adopted in because I'm holding on to all these other belief systems and calling it my truth and, and it's not working anymore, God. Father, I'm a sinner in need of a savior and I believe that your son is as there. I believe that you sent your son to die on a cross for my sins so I could be adopted into the family. I believe that, God, and see that I would choose to follow you every single day of our lives. But choosing to follow you wouldn't be uh, to do good works in order to gain your favor. It would be I'm choosing to follow you and those good works come out of my relationship with you, that it's not guilt-induced. It's because I'm proud to be your son and I want to make you happy. I would choose to follow you. Father, I pray that you would continue to work and move in the hearts and lives of the people who are sitting here today. Those who are at home, those who will listen online, all those different places. God, move in the hearts and lives of each and every one of us so we can make your son known, so we can grow our family, so you can adopt us in. We love you, Father. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.